This is Stacy Crisp with the Regis Business Center located downtown in the Talon Financial Center, where we provide flexible working solutions. Whether you need a private office, a virtual office, or use a meeting room, it's all on flexible terms, month to month or two years. Call us at 423-617-6660. Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Chattanooga, Tennessee, it's time for Chattanooga Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Welcome to the show. This is Chattanooga Business Radio. Brian Joyce, that is my name, and I am the host of the show. We are broadcasting live from the Regis Office Center in downtown Chattanooga. And my guest on the program right now is Victor Agreta. And Victor is the former editor-in-chief of the unofficial Apple weblog. And currently, he is with SuperPixel Studios. Victor, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's start off with SuperPixel Studios. What's this all about, and what do you guys do? Sure. Well, I started SuperPixel back in 1999, believe it or not. It was the dot-com boom. It was crazy days. And the idea thinking that you, know, you can really take a pixel and do anything. Um, it, it, Flash was becoming popular at the time. And I remember the realization that we could create something in vectors and scale it up to be on a billboard or scale it down to be on a website, you know, a, a 10 pixel by 10 pixel icon if we wanted to. And so the idea being, once you go digital, you can really go into anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a film banking background. And so I'm really trying to take the the idea of what artists do, people who make things with their hands. And that includes developers who get their hands dirty with code. But it's it's sort of two different worlds. The craftspeople who make all kinds of things. I have a friend who does sewing. I have a friend who makes these incredible bead masks and whatnot. And I think it's important to show people sometimes that these are things made by human beings, that a lot of time and attention goes into this. And then on the flip side, the apps that people make, you know, I have a lot of friends who are developers and there's a lot of artisanship that goes into creating an application. And so showing that, hey, real people made this, but look at all the cool things that it can do because art kind of sells itself, craft sort of sells itself. If you're into a certain thing, you're into it. Apps, you really have to show people what that is. So what we do is we do these small videos that really tells the story of whatever it is, whether it's the craftsperson or whether it's the app. That's really the idea of uh, SuperPixel Studios in today's incarnation. Absolutely. So what kind of clients do you work with? What kind of businesses do you work with? Uh, so right now, we, you know, we actually just launched the website yesterday, and I'm, I'm pretty much the main guy right now. I've been juggling a lot of different things. This evolved out of last year when AOL shut down the unofficial Apple weblog. Mm -hmm. uh, we, I, I spent a year messing around with different formats and whatnot. So I started off with this thing called Angry Dad Gamer that was a Twitch play. And I was actually streaming like five shows a week. We'd bring comedians in. We'd bring uh, musicians in. And they would play games and we talk about them and, and, you know, live broadcasting. It was crazy, crazy stuff. So I said, you know, that's first of all, a huge time commitment to be five days a week. And, and, you know, you, you do things as well, where it's like, you have to be there at a certain time. You're doing live broadcast. Sure. You can't just say, oh, well, you know, I'm going to take the afternoon off or whatever. So what I realized was that my real passion is in storytelling. While the live streaming was fun, I really wanted to get back to helping people who are small business owners expand their business. So I work directly with craftspeople and they are typically just one person operations. Uh, 
you know, if they're lucky, they have a spouse that supports them and maybe does some of the booking and billing and that sort of thing. But if you're a craftsperson and, and the people who do this, who make things with their hands know it's a really tough thing because you have, again, like a live show, you have to be physically in a place and you have to physically be making things. So I go to them and I go to their studio and I actually record them creating stuff. Mm -hmm. And we show a little bit of that process and, and, and I try to coach them. It's like, you know, it's like a cooking show. You don't sit there for 30 minutes and wait for the brownies to bake and then, you know, talk about <laughs> right. it the whole time. They have it kind of pre-made. So we have to coach them a little bit. Uh, but really, I, I love working with the small craftspeople. And then the other thing on the other side, the, the apps, we live in an area where there's a lot of development going on with technology because you can do it. You don't have to be in San Francisco. You don't have to be in Silicon Alley in New York. You know, you can do this stuff anywhere. And in fact, what I find is that folks who are not in the Valley need a lot of help getting that. Everyone likes to talk about this critical mass, mm -hmm. you know, and they're a small firm. They don't have a huge marketing budget. I mean, I, I see the amount of uh, seed rounds that people get, and it's enough to keep a business alive. It's not necessarily always enough to get that critical mass. You know, yeah. they kind of hope that lightning will strike. <clears throat> That's not a safe bet. So the idea being, look, if you can tell people the story visually of what you do and what your app does, how it makes their world better in some way, then that's what you want to communicate. And video is really the best way to do that. So really with Superpixel Studios, you specialize in videos uh, mm -hmm. for, for young companies and especially artistic types, basically to use on their website or on apps, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, exactly. And, and one of the beautiful things about where we are is that there is oftentimes a sort of intermingling of the art and the science. You know, mm -hmm. you, you've got people who are developers, but we live in the, in the cradle of country music, you know, where it started in Knoxville, uh, where, I, where I'm from. That's where country music really kind of began, right? So you have a lot of music apps. And then here in Gig City, you have a lot of people who also bring an artistic mentality to what they're doing. But then you have the unleash potential of gigabit. And, and so the technology infrastructure is actually here. So it's a beautiful, I think, synergy of working with creative people and then working with technical people and then trying to tell their story in a way that you know, honestly, builds their tribe and builds their business. So it's it's really exciting times to be here and helping people out. I, I honestly, I'll tell you something personally. It's extremely rewarding to me to see small businesses succeed, particularly when they are a very small team with limited resources. My father is an immigrant from Bolivia mm -hmm. and in South America, and when he came here in 1970, he barely spoke English. He actually moved to San Francisco but wound up going to Raleigh, North Carolina and getting a PhD uh, from NC State. Well, he was the first one of five children to come through the American school system, undergraduate and graduate degrees. All of my aunts and uncles from Bolivia have been through the American college system. All of them have advanced degrees and a small shop about the size of this room in a tiny little town in Bolivia made them enough money to put those kids all through school with no debt. That's phenomenal. And wow. I think it says a lot about the fact that small business is so critical to what we do, you know, all over the world, really. You're listening to Chattanooga Business Radio. We're broadcasting live from the Regis Office Center in downtown Chattanooga. Brian Joyce, that is my name. I'm the host of the show. And my guest here is Victor Agreta. And Victor is with Superpixel Studios. Now, Victor, 
tell us a little bit about your background. You had mentioned there that you were the former editor-in-chief at the unofficial Apple weblog, which I believe you said was a subsidiary of AOL. That's right. So uh, it's really an interesting thing because these guys uh, who founded what we were have gone on to do some really cool things lately. So uh, to give you an idea, Weblogs Inc. was a company that around 2004 was an independent business, and it was started by uh, Jason Calacanis, who's been in the technology game for a long time, and Brian Alvey. Jason has gone on to found Launch Festival, which actually I just saw they got a reality show deal. The the Weinsteins are making a reality show about Launch Festival, so I don't know when that's going to be out, but it'll be on cable in the next year or so. They just wrapped up Launch Festival, and my friend Brian Alvey pivoted his firm uh, to do a new thing called Clipisodes, which are like five-minute little you know web videos you can do. It's like Periscope, but not live. You can do a little thing, or think Vine, but for business, basically. So if you have a business, you do a little five-minute vlog every day, and Clipisodes pushes it out, and you know they have a whole platform for that. But Brian and Jason... In 2004, I mean, you know, you think about where we were at that time. Social media was pretty much non-existent. Right. Uh, Facebook was still, you had to have a .edu to even sign up for Facebook, right? MySpace was dominant. This is like ancient Those were the good old days, weren't they? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hieroglyphics uh, were being used. Now, um, but what was cool about that was blogging was brand new. And so Jason and Brian said, you know, what we really need is, first of all, bloggers need two things. They need a technological platform. And they need ad revenue to be able to continue to do what they do. A lot of folks who were blogging at the time were just doing it for fun. They'd maybe put some Google ads on their page and maybe that would get them a couple of bucks a month or whatever. So Mm -hmm. that's enough to do, you know. But what they did was they had, let's get a sales team and let's find these enthusiasts who are really good at what they do, have a little bit of a following and put them in place and just go into all these niches And what you find is that Chris Anderson was right. The long tail, the further down the long tail you go, the higher the engagement. So we had some very esoteric. There was a supply chain management blog. There was an internet radio blog, which is funny because that's kind of come back. You know, this is testament to how powerful that's become. And so there are all these very niche blogs. But what we found was that it's a really powerful model Mm -hmm. because people who are interested in, you know, wombats are really interested in wombats. So you do a a site about wombats, you're going to have really great traction with that section. And so they, they ran this business for a while and AOL acquired them. And so when AOL acquired them, that's when I came on board as a full-time person. But I actually started as a commenter, became a blogger as a freelancer, and then went full-time and managed about eight or nine different properties. And over the nine years I was at AOL, they kept closing site after site, not because we were doing badly, because we actually were pretty successful, but because AOL as an entity wasn't really set up to... This is sort of ironic, right? Because AOL's... A lot of people got on the internet through AOL. Sure. But AOL, in a sort of classic business story didn't change with the times. And by the time they sort of lifted the veil, if you guys remember, you know, 12 years ago when AOL's like, oh, all our content's available on the open web. You don't have to be a subscriber anymore. And it's sort of like, well, we weren't, but we don't care. <laughs> it also seems to me that AOL, like a lot of businesses uh, coming out of the boom, they just kept expanding, expanding, expanding without necessarily having uh, an agenda as to what they wanted to do with each one of these uh, these properties with the exception of, say, Huffington Post, which sure. is obviously massive and yeah. is owned by uh, by AOL. But 
Now, I know that AOL did try to branch off into various projects, some of which, like a HuffPost, were incredibly successful, others of which, not so much. Yeah, well, I was lucky enough to be under four different CEOs while I was at AOL, and each one of them had a different strategy. Huffington Post was Tim Armstrong's idea, and it's worked out really well. And Tim has been a good CEO for the company, but unfortunately, they never really leveraged weblogs. And in, and I think it's telling that most of the upper management folks that are involved in the weblogs acquisition later went on. They soon exited the company after we were bought. So we were kind of orphaned. And I used to joke that Tua in particular was like Tatooine. You know, we were this, we're part of the empire, but we're so far off that if we saw a Star Destroyer, we knew trouble was happening. Yeah. But, you know, they never really quite leveraged it. The, the management team that helped with that acquisition left soon thereafter and then later formed Vox, mm -hmm. which is now a huge Massive. powerhouse. Yeah. Massive. So it's clear that the business model for weblogs was a viable one. It's just that within AOL, it never could really take root. I always find this to be an interesting conversation. Why do you suppose that sometimes you have these creators, as you mentioned, AOL, this is how people originally accessed the internet yeah. back in the late, you know, the mid to late 1990s, in some regards, kept up with the changing times and technology in other regards, just they kind of fell off yeah. the wagon. I think another great example of that is uh, you look at uh, telecommunications, you look at uh, AT&T, the old Ma Bell. I mean, this is, they had more or less a monopoly right. on phone communication in the United States. Then when everything went mobile, when everything went cell, all of a sudden Verizon Wireless comes out of nowhere yeah. and completely takes almost 100% of the market right out from under AT&T and the old Ma Bell. And it, it just, it seems like AT&T just wasn't ready for it. Now, AT&T Wireless has since come back with some sure. good products, and they sort of caught back onto things, much like AOL. But I don't know if you would have any thoughts or, or attitudes as to as to why that is. Some CEOs, some companies, very, very good at, at seeing the future. Yeah. Others, they have to play catch up. Well, I think that there are so many great case studies of this. Kodak, for instance, had the patents for digital cameras, and they held them back. And they deliberately held digital camera technology back because they wanted to protect their chemical film business. Mm -hmm. Well, look how that played out. Right. You know, those patents expired. Other companies made digital cameras. That's the standard today. And Kodak is almost nothing. I'm actually writing a couple of books about this. One is like 13 things you can learn from Apple, 13 things you can learn from AOL in the time that I was there. And it's sort of a do this versus don't do this. Um, and AOL did some good things, but a, a good example would be with AOL, part of the reason why they killed off a lot of these very niche sites was because their sales organization was not structured to match the way that people bought and sold ads on the internet. Right. I mean, they bought ad.com, which was one thing, but it was only in the past couple of years that AOL even had a self-serve system for people to come in. I mean, you think about that, like Google could not be where it is today if they managed all of their Google mm -hmm. AdWords through human beings taking orders and all of this. Right. They do have humans that are involved in the process, but it's largely mechanical. AOL has regional salespeople. It's, you know, it's one of those, it's very old school, like in radio, you know, so it's that sort of thing. Like we have people in the field that go and do these things. And really, if you didn't want to spend 15000 or more most of the ad salespeople didn't want to talk to you because it would be so expensive mm -hmm. to even get your money. Well, we were a niche site, and I constantly had people saying, we want to spend money on Tua. I said, well, talk to these guys, but unless you're willing to spend 15000 which, as you know, if you're creating an app, 15000 may be your yearly budget. 
you know, uh, or all of your marketing budget. So that just wasn't uh, feasible. Whereas Apple, one of the reasons why they're known to be innovators is because they're willing to kill something that doesn't serve the future vision. So yes. the best example yes. is the iPod. You know, iPod sales have been dropping year over year since the introduction of the iPhone. Sure. iPhone sales, on the other hand, have exponentially been going up. So the company made a calculated risk and said, look, we are going to kill off some of our iPod sales, sure, but more people are you going to use mobile phones than are going to use a portable music player. So if we put the music player in the phone, we've got both of those audiences. Well, I think I think another very good example of this, and, and I'm always reluctant to bring up Facebook or Mark Zuckerberg because that sometimes can be the third rail. People are very passionate. They sure. either love Facebook sure. and Zuckerberg or they just can't stand it. <laughs> But I think that's another example where from the very beginning, Mark Zuckerberg, they would just, uh, okay, they would take the Facebook interface and just completely change it around yeah. overnight. And every Facebook user on earth would wake up the next morning and say, I hate the new interface. Right. And they changed the algorithm as to how people communicate and how the advertising works and people would hate that. But here we are all these years later, and it's still Facebook more than anybody else is crushing it Absolutely. in social media. Yeah, and I think it shows uh, a lot about how you have to be willing to change and understand that you know users don't like change by and large if we all woke up tomorrow and our cars you know had to drive on the other side of the road how you know accidents would would triple quintuple yeah. i mean i can't even imagine so users don't like change and i complain about that i mean my my twitter feed is a lot of oh i can't believe this so, you know what the heck you know just little bugs and things that I find. And I'm, I'm a part-time comedian, so I kind of like make light of these things. I know that there are engineering teams working 12 hours a day right. to really work on these things, but these are massively complicated systems. You have to be willing to risk, you know, losing a few people along the way, but the net gain is going to be so much and it's, bigger. It is really such a very gutsy and risky move. Uh, for example, with a Facebook, with the, with the millions of people using uh, that, that app all around the world, it is a risky move for Mark Zuckerberg to just say, okay, you know, for his advisors to tell him when we switch things around here, mm -hmm. there's a really good chance a lot of the world is going to hate Facebook <laughs> for at least a month. Yeah. But trust us on this. We think it's going to be better in the long run. That is a huge, gutsy, risky move. It is. It is. Although I think we're seeing too uh, that, you know, I have, I have two kids and one's a teenager. And something that I'm fascinated by is the fact that kids are a lot more willing to experiment with interfaces than my generation even who, you know, I grew up with technology, but I was lucky in that regard because my dad was kind of a nerd and, mm -hmm. you know, early adopter for some things. But kids are inundated now with technology. It's just, it's that baseline shift, right? You know, a caveman would see a spoon as high technology. It's my, outdated within six months. Exactly. Today. Yeah. And so, and they've never... It, they've never existed in a world that didn't have cellular phones. Right. So that's a whole thing, right? But they're willing to play with it. I think a great example of how you can have a really, I would say, an atrocious interface from a usability, like it breaks all the rules, but is wildly popular is Snapchat. Yes. And the reason why so many folks my age and older don't understand Snapchat is because it doesn't work the way it should. You know, it doesn't work the way that user design says, oh, you should do this, this, and this. No. And they're not afraid to change things up. They're not afraid to add stuff and not even tell you. I mean, it took me forever to figure out how to get all the little filters and everything. I had to look it up, you know, or I could ask my kids. <laughs> and, you know, they're like, Dad, you're not cool. You're not supposed to be using that stuff. But 
It's but it's of, no surprise that so many of these apps and so much social media and a lot of these developments do trend to the younger generation, because you're absolutely right. When I say older generation, I just mean people above the age of even 35. Yep. They are much slower to adapt to this kind of changing technology. And really, when we say changing, like we just said, I mean, you're talking about like every four to six months, there's something brand new that's dropped on you. A lot of times it's not even explained to you. You can either hang with that or you just get frustrated That's and right. reactionary and you say, oh, the heck with this. I'm done with all of it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, we we have seen a lot of great products come out and people have embraced them uh, and just learned them on the fly. And these are companies that are willing to constantly be changing things. And a, gr- a good example, I think, lately has been Slack. So I don't know if you guys have used Slack, but as I a communications not. platform, it is really fantastic. It hits, and I'm very picky. I mean, I managed a virtual team for nine years. So finding a virtual communications tool was really, really important to us. We used, uh, was it Campfire for a long time? Mm -hmm. We used Google Chat. Eventually, this is how bad the field was for a long time. We ended up using IRC. Those of you who are old remember Internet Relay Chat. It's a very old protocol. And what was crazy was that we built bots. So we actually had a developer come in and he could do things like, you know, set news alerts. So if Apple popped up in the news for iPhone, we would get an alert in our chat room. We would see this. We could search the app store from our chat room. And people who know IRC might be flabbergasted by the fact that we could do all of this stuff. But th- right. that's the power of these things. But IRC is kind of like Linux in that you have to know a lot of deep stuff to use it. Slack is just the other way around. It's graphical. It's user-friendly. Uh, it accommodates groups and then branching off and all the things that you really would want in a group messaging collaborative platform. It hits all of those notes. And a lot of that's because the guys who created it managed virtual teams and they knew what they wanted and they actually put it in there. So I, I think what's cool is that we're so close to the product cycle now as consumers that we're we're sort of becoming beta testers in a way. It's been a it's been a slow creep for a long years for a lot of years I've seen it over time but you know the fact that with the internet I mean it, these are web applications right yeah. so you don't even get to control do you want this new version it's just you wake up and here's your new version like mm-hmm. you said with Facebook right uh, so we we've, we've become accustomed to that you know whereas it used to be you'd have to print a new CD and somebody'd have to install it well I mean that's how you get people like George R R Martin who are still using a word processor from 15 20 years ago is <laughs> because I've got the disk I've got my computer nothing's going to change I don't want to change it <laughs> You're listening to Chattanooga Business Radio we're broadcasting live from the Regis Office Center in downtown Chattanooga Tennessee Brian Joyce that is my name and I'm the host of the show and I'm talking here with Victor Agreta and Victor is the founder and the CEO of Super Pixel Studios now Victor, to sort of take this conversation uh, full circle here, you were talking about, uh, again, in the world of blogging, the the passion that is out there. And the more you drill down on specific items and topics and interests, the passion becomes even more passionate. Uh, now, you at Superpixel Studios, you're in the business of, of video production and uh, offering videos for, for small businesses and art, artists and people like this. There's a lot of passion for that, too. And and obviously, the best example being YouTube, where you have some folks literally throwing up to the rest of us what would seem to be the most either ridiculous or idiotic or uninteresting videos. Sometimes these videos are no more than 45 seconds to 60 seconds. If you do this the right way, it can it can certainly be a boom to your business. It can be a boom to your brand, people who are getting millions and millions of hits on YouTube. So... Let's just talk about that 
when you work with artists, when you work with small businesses, how do they take advantage of that? How do they take advantage of your services to create just the right video content? How do you put it out there? Where do you put it out there? How do you do this? Yeah, well, it's one of those things like with everything, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Um, the the rules of YouTube are still being written because it is such a, a young medium. But I will say that those of you who are confused as to Snapchat, you may have already missed the YouTube boat. You, you got to get in YouTube. Uh, it really is. I mean, that's where the audience is. And that was something that also in playing with Angry Dad Gamer, we realized, you know, Twitch has a very passionate audience, but it's also this core group of people who are also on YouTube. And so we really missed out by not kind of focusing on YouTube first. So I tell, I tell people, don't overdo it. You know, unless you're in a business that like, if you are the personality, if you really are like the sort of lightning rod, then you need to be on there, you know, like Richard Branson, you know, the folks that are well known, most small businesses don't have that kind of person. So you have to just communicate your value to the audience out there and hopefully provide some extra value. So one of the videos I did was for a modern seamstress in Knoxville and she teaches sewing classes and she does some, you know, custom work and whatnot. Well, she's been doing YouTube videos and, uh, with little quick tips, you know, little things, uh, stuff that's like 15, 30 seconds at most. So you got to kind of catch people, the fact that they're moving quickly and don't post too frequently. Now, like I said, the rules are still being written. On the other side of that, if you are personality-based, you should be posting twice a day. I just, as a matter of fact, I took my daughter to a show in Nashville recently. This, uh, was it uh, Trevor Moran and Ricky Dillon? Mm -hmm. And for most people over 30, most people over 20 probably have no idea who these guys are, but they are huge you on know, YouTube. Uh, they're huge on YouTube. Yeah. And they, they've got albums coming out now. Ricky had a song that he did with Snoop Dogg. That's become, and I've noticed that with my kids, YouTube is their television. You know, we used to wake up and want to see Saturday morning cartoons. They don't really do that anymore. They don't do that anymore. Yeah. And what is interesting too, though, is that I always thought, okay, with YouTube, then Kids will just watch whatever they want, whenever they want. What I do find interesting is that the top tier YouTubers like Markiplier, PewDiePie, whatever, they'll put a video out on a schedule. And my kids know Thursdays at 4 p.m. when I get out of school, that new video is sitting there waiting. Yeah, They don't crazy. wait. You know, it's not well, like oh, you, I can watch it whenever. Yeah. A, a, an interesting story along those lines. Um, now you have a background in comedy too. Rob Schneider, who mm -hmm. comes through, does stand up in Chattanooga every once in a while. And he's been on my radio show. And so we struck up a little bit of a friendship and I've talked to him about this. And, and Rob Schneider, you know, big movie star, mm -hmm. TV show, Saturday Night Live back in the old days. He now has a Netflix series that he produces on his own money. Yeah. He does this with his own dime. And I was talking to him about that. And we had this whole conversation. He was saying how, you know, it's certainly... I'd like to have the safety net of a of a seven figure contract with NBC, but this allows me to just do what I want to do creatively and be where those eyeballs are. And the example he gave me is that he was giving a speech at Harvard. And first of all, we joked about the fact that Rob Schneider <laughs> is speaking at Harvard is, yeah. is funny enough to begin with. <clears throat> but the whole point of this speech, he was just talking about his career and the landscape of media and entertainment. And he just said, quick uh, show of hands. And he's speaking to a couple of hundred students at Harvard. How many of you watch TV? How many of you watch uh, late night TV, Conan yeah. O'Brien? No hands. Right. Nobody. So it was at that moment he said, you know what? I'm just going to take my own money. I'm going to throw something up on Netflix. And even if it bombs, hey, at least I'm where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. That, and well, and, and that I think is the biggest takeaway for business owners is to understand that you have an opportunity to be closer to your customers without having to invest in that physical space. You know, you, it used to be, if you want to meet your customers, you had to have a storefront, right. you had to bring them in. It was a one-to-one relationship, right? Now you can have a one-to-many relationship with your customers that feels like a one-to-one relationship. You know, I, I read a great thing by Gary Vaynerchuk about Snapchat. Why is Snapchat so popular? And I certainly was asking myself that. And I think he really hit on something, which is that it mimics the face-to-face interaction. You know, our face-to-face interactions are ephemeral. With the fact, despite the fact that we're recording this and whatnot, when we go offline, we're talking to each other face-to-face. You know, nobody's recording that. We, we remember pieces of it and whatnot. Snapchat captures that sort of talking to each other. And people really are communicating with selfies. But the idea being, well, that's how we do it in real life. You know, we have visual cues. We have right. audio cues. Right. That's what that's creating. So if you think about that, when you're communicating through video and audio, you're having a conversation and to that person's brain, it's like you're talking to them and you really are. And so, you know, Rob and and other people who have put things on Netflix with their own money, they're taking that risk and saying, you guys know me, you trust me, you like what I deliver as a brand, come check this out, Yeah, you know, and you don't need the marketing budget to be on NBC or whatever, you really, you get to your fans. And I've seen people like Doug Stanhope and other absolutely. guys that have a really well, strong the best, following. Probably the best example being Louis C.K. Oh, who, absolutely. Who yeah. cut that record and sold it straight through his website. Forget about a record label. Forget about going through Comedy Central. Threw it up on his website, charged people five bucks. And yep. I forget, how much money did he make? Oh, a ton. A ton. And now, he's, and now he's got this web series, which is really great. And frankly, it's something that you can't, you're not going to see that on cable anytime soon, you know? And so it allows people to take risks, but really get to their customers. You're listening to Chattanooga Business Radio. We're broadcasting live from the Regis Office Center in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee. And again, my guest here is Victor Agreta, and Victor is the founder and the CEO of Super Pixel Studios. Victor, been an interesting conversation. Now, you're based here in Chattanooga, or where are you? I'm based in Knoxville, but Knoxville. You know, I visit Chattanooga, Atlanta, Nashville quite a bit. And obviously, you can provide these video services and provide help and uh, guidance to, to really anybody, anybody who wants yeah. to reach out to you. So how do they find you? Uh, so you can go to superpixel.us and uh, go there, and you can uh, you know click the contact thing, and I'll get in touch with her, Victor at superpixel.us. And I'll get in touch. There we go. All right. Victor Agretta, I appreciate the time. Thank Thank you. you. All right, folks. Chattanooga Business Radio broadcasting live every week from the Regis Office Center in downtown Chattanooga. Brian Joyce, that's my name. I'm the host of the show. Thank you for joining us today. We'll talk to you next time. This is Stacy Crisp with the Regis Business Center located downtown in the Talent Financial Center, where we provide flexible working solutions. Whether you need a private office, a virtual office, or use a meeting room, it's all on flexible terms, month to month or two years. Call us at 423-617-6660.